Oh, good morning, good morning, good morning. I'm so excited to finally sit down and record something for you guys. I've got my big cup of coffee and my even bigger local history book. So, the drive between Bremerton and Port Orchard is an afterthought to me nowadays. I do it five days a week, twice a day, and as long as I beat the shipyard traffic, it's pretty uneventful. But as a kid, it felt like an eternity. The way back from Port Orchard was fine. You look at the water and the birds hunting and swooping, and then the big ships would loom over you from the shipyard. But the drive from Bremerton to Port Orchard felt much longer. There were only two sort of markers in my mind to break up the drive. One was a big handmade wooden sign nailed to a tree that said, Read Your Bible in all capital letters. But as a kid, I went to church in Port Orchard. That's usually why we were making the drive, so that seemed very logical to me. Of course I was going to Port Orchard to read my Bible. What else would you do in Port Orchard, apparently? The other marker, which was my favorite to see, was the set of little A-frame style houses built into the cliffside next to the freeway. I have to confess, I used to daydream wildly about them. I thought, maybe they used to be a summer camp, like the one from The Parent Trap, where the girls wear like the knee-high socks with the stripes on them, or, or like a Girl Scouts camp or something like that. I would ponder, what is it? Why is it an A-frame? Why are those houses shaped so funny? My mom said they were Swiss. Did Swiss people build them? Where do Swiss people come from? How do you even get down there behind the freeway like that? That seemed the most impossible to me as a kid who had really no agency to run around on my own. The easiest one of those questions to answer now is how to get there. It's no secret with modern GPS, and about three years ago, I got a call to make some home repairs, which is part of what I do for a living, and I had no idea that I was headed to the cabins until I got there. The address was on Sherman Heights Road, and it just sounded like a normal address until I pulled up in front and realized, it's the cabins. Oh my god, I'm going to the cabins. It was a small childhood dream come true. It really was. It was very exciting. Once you're down there, off behind the freeway, you can see where the original entrance to these homes probably connected to the road, uh, but there's barricades now stopping anybody from trying to go in or out that way. I'm guessing that when that became a freeway, that entrance probably just became too dangerous. While I was working, I got the chance to ask some questions. Uh, the tenant didn't know a lot, just that the cabins were leased out individually as homes and each one had a letter like apartments or condos. There were different people living in the cabins in the back of this little teeny dirt road. The cabin I went to was so tiny inside, so very tiny, and it didn't seem like it had been kept up very well over the years. And it's been a tough year for those little cabins, you know? 2020 hasn't been kind to anyone. They weren't in the greatest shape when I visited. And uh, 
couple of months ago, I was driving to work and I noticed something catastrophic must have happened. There were tarps all over the main building as if maybe there had been some kind of a roof failure. And now that main front building, it's disappeared entirely. She's been torn down. So in honor of the A-frame cabins, or at least the main one up front, may, may it rest in peace. Here's what information I could find about them. The cabins at one point may have been called the Comstock cabins, which gives me strong, like, Bioshock Infinite vibes, if you ever played that video game. There seems to be some debate about the name, and they probably have changed names throughout the years. I also came across the name Cottage Cove, but that seems to be a different set of cabins that were torn down in 2003. According to real estate websites, the Comstock cabins were built in 1933. So, for historical context, that's a really early date for A-frame construction, to my knowledge. Post-World War II, there was lots of A-frame construction, even locally here. Companies would build A-frame cabins or sell plans and lumber kits for sort of DIY A-frame cabins. But like I said, that's post-World War II in 1933. That's much earlier than those widely available commercial options. Those didn't come about until, you know, 50s and 60s. The earliest date that I've seen for A-frame construction in modern America is a cabin in Lake Arrowhead, California, designed by Rudolf Schindler in 1936. So, if that 1933 build date is accurate, the Comstock cabins beat him by three years. And that would have made them 87 years old this year. Gosh, and even to put that in context, 1933, that's also a Depression era year. 1933 is Great Depression. So somebody right there on the verge of the Great Depression built those cabins, which is amazing. Um, the one question that I don't have an answer to that I wish I did is who built them? I did try to dig into this. I looked through the books that I have and I couldn't find a name. I poked around on the internet and I couldn't find a name and I made three attempts at going to the historical society, but it has just become impossible. And this is not the historical society's fault by any means. The first time they were closed for COVID and then the second time they were closed for smoke because of the fires. And then shortly thereafter, they closed right back up because of COVID again and the second shutdown. So I just have to kind of content myself right now with giving you the information that I have readily available. Uh, but if I find out who built them, I will be sure to check back in and let you know because I'm deeply curious, deeply curious about the soul who built these cottages. One of the most interesting things that I came across while researching was a personal account from someone who's lived around town for a long time. They said that before the formal freeway went in on days with unusually high tide, the tide would reach all the way into the cabins. Can you imagine? And before the freeway went in, it would have been a quick walk to the water from the cabins, but I wouldn't dare try it now. You get hit by a car. So as I said, I'm currently unclear on who built the cabins. 
and if they were originally built to be private homes, there does seem to be some consensus that they served as a quote-unquote motor inn style of motel for vacationing families on road trips, and that they were a great fishing destination with their close proximity to the water and a nearby creek. Okay, so I found this quote online. Uh, it did come from Facebook, which is not a historical source, so take it with a grain of salt. But somebody summed up the kind of decline of the cabins over the years, and I thought they did it fairly well. Uh, they said, in the 60s and 70s, with the fish runs destroyed by human activity, the cabins became rentals for the hippie generation, who made themselves a little stoner paradise out of buildings that, cheap, that were cheap to rent because they were so badly in need of repairs, a couple of them not even having electricity yet. In the 80s and 90s, students still lived there, but they were so very dilapidated that mainly only unfortunate souls lived amidst the ruin. Decades of the shipyard's heavy metals pollution and E. coli from Gorst Creek, running through a network of leaking septic tanks pouring into the head of the Sinclair Inlet. If you could get down to the water, you wouldn't like being there. They also mentioned that the cabins would have been close to Charleston, of course, and something called Whiskey Gulch. The only Whiskey Gulch that I know of is the restaurant in Port Orchard at Annapolis. I will need to do some research on it, but it sounds like there used to be more businesses and, and fishing opportunities and things like that down on the water before the freeway went in, and that the area called Whiskey Gulch was torn down to make way for the freeway. And as for the claims about the water quality, I mean, I've been hearing those rumors my whole life. I was here in the 90s, but I was a very small child, so I don't know how the water actually was. I do remember that my mom would take us down to the Evergreen Park, but we were never allowed to go in the water, and we always left before dark. So, do you know anything about Whiskey Gulch? Or the urban legend that is Bremerton's water pollution? Do you have other questions about Bremerton and its history? I'd love to hear from you. Drop me a line and let me know. I'm on all of the usual social media as at Bremalore. You know, it's like Bremalo, but with an R-E on the end. And uh, if you want to learn more, don't forget to subscribe. Oh man, if you're still here jamming out with me, I just thought I'd let you know this song is called Sugar Diabet and it's by an artist named Watercat. You can find it on the royalty-free music website, icons8.com. I love it. I just love jamming to it, man. Enjoy it. <laughs>